Western Conference podcast live from Las Vegas, and I have Farrington High's own, the legendary Mr. Jesse Sapolo in the building. How you doing, Jess? Doing good, brother. You know, uh, coming out here to Vegas and check out what you're doing, and uh, I've seen you progress over the years, man. Man, it's been a long time. I've, I've, been, I've been hounding Jesse for this interview <laughs> for many, many moons, but it's just good to have you in here, and you know, you're in town to do the, uh, the Polynesian Bowl here at, at Bishop. Yes, we have a Polynesian uh, Combine yeah. and Showcase. You know, it's uh, become the only game that uh, that's televised on the NFL Network, so we're very proud about that. You've been we're working hard. But before we get into that, I always like to go to the beginning, Jesse. I'm talking about the days where we're going from Samoa to Hawaii because I always want everybody to know your full story. So let's go back to the beginning from Samoa before you even transitioned over to Farringdon High School. Tell us about that. Well, you know, my dad and my mom, you know, we were ministers in Samoa. In 1970, they decided to move us to America for a better education. So we moved to L.A. for about a, a year and a half. Yeah. And then he got called to be a minister in Hawaii. So we moved to Hawaii, and I grew up there for 14 years. Yeah. But when I came to uh, Big Cisco, you know, we I didn't even speak a word of English. I was man. about to tell him. I said, <laughs> <laughs> English was a second language to Jesse. You know, yeah. And sometimes, you know... Uh, so it was my last five years with the Niners. I was kind of like the spokesman of yeah. the team. And, <laughs> and, you know, it makes you think back about God's blessings. Yeah. You know, uh, never thought I would be put in that position. A kid that came from Samoa, didn't speak a word of English. And, uh, you know, sports uh, allowed me to uh, to thrive, not only in school, but, but uh, you know, become uh, – uh, you know, affiliated with 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 sports in America yeah. and, and and make that transition. How was was the love for football started in Samoa when you were in Hawaii, or in or in L.A.? Uh, it started in L.A. Yeah, you know, as uh, flag football, I was introduced because when I came from Independence Samoa, mm -hmm. um, rugby was a sport. Yep, rugby was so the game. When I came to L.A., they put me at running back. I was yeah. pretty fast for my size, <laughs> but as you know. Uh, Cisco, you know, as you move up, you know, they start moving you forward. and You start getting the weight. Then you start getting on the line. Like, what am I on the line for? Yeah. You know, it's hard to have a, a running back that's uh, 245 pounds <laughs> as a freshman. So Now yeah. you're fullback, tight end. Now you're on the line, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it just shows you the kind of talent that's required in the yeah. NFL. Uh, because, you know, we used to run those wide sweeps with Roger yeah. Craig and Guy McIntyre and I, they, you know, Bob McKittrick would have to have guys that run four nine. Legend Bob, right there. Yeah, to to get out there and uh, yeah. you know run those wide sweeps, and that was the mainstay of our offense. And going to Farrington High School was that? What did you go into Farrington as as a lineman? Well, I went to Farrington as a defensive end. Oh, see, <laughs> many hats Jesse wore, many hats. <laughs> so you know, you wanted to sack the quarterback, yeah. and uh, <laughs> you know, as a big lineman, but uh, obviously, uh, you know, I tried offensive line and. Mm -hmm. And that was my calling. So went to UH as an offensive tackle, yeah. and then reported in as a freshman. And I went to the offensive tackle meeting room, and they pointed me to where the centers and guards were meeting. So, you and you're know, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they were like, you know, uh, six three is not tall enough to yeah. play tackle. So you're becoming a guard in the center, and and uh, and that's what I carried myself as a 49er for 15 years. And we're talking about. I, I was just talking to G about this earlier. 15 years with one team, that's like rare nowadays. Very and we're talking, you got drafted in the 11th round, 1983 draft. I mean, coming out of UH, was that something that, that was that the next step you already knew was going to be your next step in football was to go to the NFL draft? Well, yeah, that's the dream of, of yeah. every kid, you know, but, um, but it's really hard because at that particular time, there weren't a lot of draft choices coming out of the University yeah. of Hawaii. So it was still in the pioneering stages, but, uh, but, you know, somebody had to, you know, 
trail to blaze. Yeah, right. So know, somebody, blaze, blaze the trail somebody had to break the mold right there, yeah. right? And and for, you know, like the reason I'm here today is yeah. because, you know, we, we need to keep pushing that button. And, and Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I played in the NFL, there were four of us, and then it went up to six, and they yeah. went back down to five. We got close to 100 now. Yeah. You know? and, and, of course, including... You know, uh, all pro Talanoa Hufanga. Come on, was Ta we had Talanoa in here, and it's just—it's <laughs> crazy how it goes full circle. When we were talking about Talanoa, he was like, "Yeah, Uncle Jesse's been a huge, you know, part mm -hmm. of his success over there with San Francisco." And we we're just talking about how everything comes. Where you're talking about, we had a couple of players, of Polynesian players in the league, and now it's kind of like where it's a, the norm. And now that you, how was it trying to be like one of the first Polynesian players to try to make it in the NFL? Well, it, it was really special at that time yeah. because when you're a Polynesian and, and you're in the NFL, it was very, very rare at the time. But uh, but this was the picture. Yeah. You know, this is the the vision that we wanted to to get to. And and you know, there were nine Polynesians that was involved in the in the Super Bowl game. Yeah, yeah. You know, including some of our practice squad uh, young men. So, uh, you know, we're not going to relax. Yeah. You know, because I think we have a talent for this particular sport, and uh, you know, the reach of of football players, you know, Big Cisco is there. I've, I've heard stories of young women that go into interview for jobs in San Francisco. Yeah. And the CEO happens to be a 49er fan, you know, and they see the, the, the skin color and yeah. where they come from. And they ask, and the kids said they come from Samoa or Hawaii. And the next question is, do you know Jesse Samoa? Exactly. You know, and it kind of <laughs> opens the doors for them. Yeah. So that's kind of the importance of things. That's when it opened my eyes. Hey, Absolutely. you know, we can help young women and, and everybody else outside what yeah. we do but football is, is the main sport that we're attracted to take us back to draft day 1983 <laughs> take us back to like when you when did you get the phone call because it wasn't as extravagant as the draft is now yeah. now it was kind of like oh let me let me see if we made a team yet tell us about how when you got drafted by the Niners this is how humble my beginnings were with the Niners you know uh, there was one the draft was one day there were 12 rounds yeah so the first round in New York was like four four a.m. Hawaii time. Wow! <laughs> I didn't get, sleep. I didn't get drafted till seven p.m. Hawaii oh, wow. time. <laughs> and I got a call from the Philadelphia Eagles saying, "Hey, we were about to draft you, but the 49ers just drafted you a pick before us." Wow! So the 49ers didn't contact me until the next day. <laughs> so you didn't even know. <laughs> Philly's like, "Oh, we were gonna pick you, but the Niners, yeah, the Niners, Niners didn't call you. me." Exactly, yeah. and and you know. And those are the things that I think about every yeah. day during my 15 years with the Niners. You know, it, it left that chip on my shoulder yeah. that I needed to to prove myself and, and outlasted my whole class. You know, outlasted, yeah. you know, Roger Craig, who was our first pick and everybody else. So um, it was something that I think it was to my advantage that, you know, it allowed me to keep that chip on my shoulder and keep going. But I always knew that there were uh, Polynesian kids that were looking. Yeah. And that I need to keep pushing the button, and then some of those kids came on like Junior Seau, yeah, and, and I ended up playing against them. Yeah, you know? yeah. so so uh, it you know we the we all started from humble beginnings to get to where we are now with uh, all these five star Polynesian yeah. kids that are getting recruited right now. And it, it takes us back to the humbleness of you know just being a Polynesian. I said you don't see like a Polynesian Deion Sanders back in the day. <laughs> I mean, that's just to kind of put him to it because we weren't all about the flash and everything. So just imagine if Jesse got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. We wouldn't even, this would be a whole different scenario. Do you ever think about that? It's crazy how God works where you could have been in Philadelphia Eagle and a lot of stuff would have been different. It would have been different. Yeah. It would have been a, a culture shock for yeah. me, you know, being in the East Coast. and uh, But God blessed me to be in the, on the West Coast and, yeah. and be 
uh, in California in the city where there's a lot of Polynesians, yeah, you know, that absolutely. were 49er fans, and it made the transition a, a lot easier for yeah. me. And then, of course, we found success, and we became the team of the 80s and spilled into the 90s. We won another Super Bowl in those battles with yeah. the Dallas Cowboys. So, uh, you know, and, and, and that's how the 49ers became uh, kind of like Samoa's team yeah. and Hawaii's team. Come only on. because they saw a Polynesian that was yeah. on a team that was very successful. So... But now we, we cheer for for all of our Polynesian kids until they play the Niners. And I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I always say, you know, we're, we're I grew up a diehard Niner fan, and it was had a lot to do with you being on the team. And mm. now we look at it as like, you know, we have the Marcus Mariotas, you know, everyone that plays for different teams where we're rooting for them. Mm-hmm. We're rooting for them, not the team, but we're rooting <laughs> for them as an individual because we're San Francisco 49er fans. But now it takes me back to what, what was the pressures of being kind of like the first Polynesian NFL? Was there any pressures coming in? Well, there was a lot of pressure yeah. uh, on you personally and on your family because I was the only Polynesian on the team. So when we win the Super Bowl, there's a lot of requests, yeah. you know, oh, uh, yes. to appear here. Please, yeah. you need to come speak here. Um, you know, and sometimes I speak to my um, African-American teammates. I'm yeah. like, you guys are lucky, you know. <laughs> you know, you guys can share the burden. But yeah. for me, you know, and, and, and I grew up with the Samoan mentality of, yes. of having love for family that I— I try not to turn anything down and at the same time fit my training in because yeah. all that is academic if I get Come cut on. from the team. So <laughs> Exactly. Because so. now that goes to the wayside if you do get cut. Right. But now you have the pressures of, like you said, I mean, people don't realize, like I, I'm in the <laughs> entertainment industry and I know exactly what Jesse's talking about because all of a sudden you get cousins from everywhere that you oh. ain't never heard of. Yeah. Hey, can I get a ticket to the show and, uh. and vice versa? But like that, those pressures, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up is because we do, people don't see that part of it. Where you're a, one of the few Polynesian guys, you got the whole all the islands asking for a ticket now, right? And you like having to stay on the team because now if you get cut, now you you felt like you failed the Polynesian people. You know what I mean? Absolutely, and that was the pressure back yeah. then. Yeah, because all eyes were kind of on you, you know. And at that time, you know, like right now for me, for me and you, we we cheer for our Polynesian yeah. kids, but they're all over the place. All over. But we want the Niners to win every yes. game, right? So. <laughs> But back then, you know, it's like I look down the schedule and we play a team maybe five weeks from now that had a Polynesian. Yeah. And I look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. But I try to focus on one game at a time. But it's always in the back of my mind that I'm going to play a team when I can go get to go yeah. over and shake his hand and get to know him. You know, but it was once every five weeks or yeah. six weeks. Because that was a rare occasion back then. It was very Now rare. it's every week. <laughs> now you got somebody on the O-line and D-line. You saw, and it just so, shows how it evolved. Yeah. From when you you came to play in the so go back to that and you being there with the Niners in the eighties. When did you start seeing that that those teams were going to be special? Like when Joe Montana came in. When, when did you know that it was going to be a special era for you guys, or did you know? Well, we I, we kind of knew because yeah. I'm I'm the only those six of us that won four Super Bowl yeah. rings. The other five won the first four. I'm the only guy that won the second four. So I was at the University of Hawaii when they won their first one. Yeah, in 1981. Then they struggled in 1982. They missed the playoffs uh, in that strike-shortened season. Yeah. So when we came in 83, they were still remembering 81, but they were concerned about 82. 82, yeah. And we came in as an 83 class, and and then uh, we said, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to drop the ball. We're going to try to continue this thing. But And then we won in 84. Man. And then, of course— uh, Success came quick, Jess. It came quick. Yeah. It came really quick. You know, and—, and 
you know, two years ago when they said the Rams was the first team to win under home. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, that's field. not necessarily true. We won at Stanford back in 1984. Yeah, I, I always wanted to bring that up <laughs> because I said, okay, it may not have been Candlestick, but we still were at Stanford exactly. and we're still in the Bay Area. If you're going to say home, you yeah. know, that was, <laughs> Bay Area was It don't get home, no more home man. than right, that. Right. But so. having success early, going to the Super Bowl early, like, I mean, another pressure for you. Now you got to kind of maintain, even staying on the team, because now that everybody wants to be a part of that team, you're getting young, hungry talent coming in to the drafts upcoming. How do you kind of stay composed? Because if you guys look at some of the early pictures of Jess, he was like a bodybuilder on the, on the old line. <laughs> I said, he was one of those that, that you knew he didn't play around, but how did you kind of just say, let me maintain my focus by at least just staying on the team? Well, because I, I understood that um, the reason I'm there is from uh, is a blessing from upstairs, Absolutely. from God, right? And it's, it's very, very difficult when you try to answer everybody's requests and not focus on what you needed to do, yeah. you know? And, you know, people ask me all the time, um, what do you think about in the locker room yeah. moments before you get introduced in the Super Bowl? I think about how I grew up in Samoa, man, you know, when you didn't even get a ball to play with. How you, you came know? a long way right. from Samoa and, to and, get being introduced. And, you know, there's millions of kids in America that want to sit in that spot. Yeah. But yet God put me there, you know, and I'm not going to take, Take it for granted. Yeah. So, and I knew that once it's over, it's over. Yeah. So I'm going to do everything in my power to stay as long as I could, and then hopefully by the time I leave, the next generation of Samoans and Polynesians yeah. are coming through to to keep carrying the the torch. And and that's kind of what I did. Yeah. And it takes us out the the evolution of you know where we were just doing linemen. You you knew Polynesian. Now we're going into the age of Tua Tagovailoa. <laughs> being mm -hmm. a quarterback, you know, yes. like you, you talk about making that transition. Like, tell us how you kind of seen that evolve as far as coming for just Polynesians being linemen to going into these skilled positions. Well, you know, Francisco, back in, even before I came into the draft, we had a third pick in the Mr. draft. Tom yeah. Jack Thompson. Jack Thompson. You know, that was like our RG3 yeah. back in the day. And then it just got cut off. Yeah. Because you know, he was like one of the last right. poly quarterbacks. Like, right. what happened? Right. And and the only one that got drafted that high. So, yeah. Uh, but now, I mean, you know, the fact that our parents can take their kids out of state and compete at other places. And, you know, Ngalu training his boys. Yeah. Believing that they don't have to be Jesse Sapolos. Yeah, you know, exactly. They, they can be quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, and then we have DJ Uyangalele. And of course, Marcus Mariota was yeah. our first Heisman Trophy winner, and they got they got a couple more coming through. Yeah, oh, and I see them. So him. very exciting times. Nico for us. At, over there at Tennessee right. looks Nico. really good. Oh, yeah. yeah, shout he out Nico really, and the family, man. And and, and he's six five. Yeah, you know, so. and we're not talking about no slouches. We're talking about uh, some real quarterbacks with a nice arm, and yes. and it just shows the evolution. Like, and also going back to the nineteen eighty three Super Bowl. Like, what was your eighty four Super Bowl? What was the uh, interaction with Joe Montana? Did you know he was going to be special? Well, I knew it was going to be special. Yeah, you, you know, but when. I, when I came out of the locker room for my first minicamp, at that time we were training in Redwood City, yeah. and I saw Joe throw the ball, I was like, my college quarterback had a nicer spiral in the net. <laughs> <laughs> he, his arm did not just fly out and just blew you away. Yeah. But that Chrissy was unbelievable. And the more I practiced, the more I, I appreciate the accuracy, the yeah. touch. You know, he wasn't blowing everybody away, you know. I know Phil Sims talked about it when Bill Walsh was came to scout him yeah. in college, and he was trying to impress him by just zooming, zipping them, the ball, yeah, zipping the ball. 
And Bill Walsh was like, nah, easy. I need some touch. Yeah, the accuracy. Accuracy. Yeah. And that's what Joe was, you know. Because everybody talk about run after the catch with Jerry Rice and John Taylor. If Joe doesn't put it in a spot that allows them. The NFL DBs are too talented. Yeah. They'll shut you down if you got to reach back for the mm -hmm. ball. And that's what separated Joe from everybody yeah. else. And then his attitude and his personality in the huddle. You heard that story about John Candy. Yeah, no, yeah, you about <laughs> during the Super Bowl, he's looking at John during Candy the Super at the end Bowl. of the end zone. Yeah. We're, we're trailing yeah. with about two minutes and three seconds left, and we got 92 yards to go, and this guy, you know, doing a TV yeah. timeout <laughs> is pointing out John Candy on the sideline. And when you know the driver of the bus is calm, yeah. I knew we were in pretty good shape. I mean, when he's talking about John Candy, you guys, having, you guys are trailing at this point. That kind of just kind of told you guys, oh yeah, yeah, this it calmed is the us dude. down. Yeah, it calmed us down. And and all I was thinking about Cisco was, man, you know, there's a lot of Samoans and Polynesian watching this game. You can't be holding in a yeah. key situation. <laughs> you know, they're gonna leave a lot of messages on your answering oh, yeah. machine. Thank, thank yeah, God we didn't have we yeah, didn't exactly. have cell phones. Yeah, and, and it takes us back to social media. Like when you guys were doing that, I mean, didn't have social media back in the day. And I always talk about like there's there's these stories about Super Bowls that we, we see on ESPN <laughs> and all these stories that, that that are like viral stories. Tell us a story about Joe that people probably don't know about when you guys were playing together. Cause you guys came real close. Cause you were yes. you were his main dude. Yes. We you know, Steve Wallace and I, yeah. you know, because at one, you know, they kept switching me back and forth. So I was a left guard in some of the Super Bowls. So Steve Wallace was a left tackle. So the first bus leaves about three hours and fifteen minutes before kickoff. Yeah. But to us, that's not that's not early enough. So we catch a we catch a taxi like four hours before the game kickoff <laughs> on our on our own yeah, on to your get own. to the stadium. So Joe started catching the 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 oh, taxi, the taxi with us. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, he's bumming a, a yeah, ride yeah. with us when he's making five billion dollars <laughs> at that time. So we played in Chicago in the NFC Championship game, and it was like three degrees, yeah, thirty-one below zero wind wow. chill. And the driver is look, kept looking to his right because now Joe's sitting in the front. Steve Wallace you, and I yeah. are sitting in the you back. You guys ain't fitting in the front, yeah. <laughs> and, and the driver kept looking at him and said, we're going to Soldier Field. So he took us to Soldier Field. The guy looks at Joe and goes, you look like you play football, you know. And it was so cold, we, we said to the taxi driver, can you drop us off as close as possible yeah. to the visiting locker room? This dude dropped us off on the opposite side of the field. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly <laughs> what he was doing. You know, and uh, so, you know, that's some of the stories we had. And then when we tra traded him to Kansas City. Oh, man. You know, he knew that Steve Wallace and I catch a taxi early. Yeah. So when Steve and I got off of our taxi in Kansas City, and we're walking to the locker room. We got hit with grapes behind our heads, <laughs> and it was Joe hiding behind us because <laughs> he knew you guys were exactly yeah, the yeah, time yeah. that Steve Wallace and I were coming in, just throwing grapes accuracy right in the back <laughs> of our heads. And then he started busting up, coming out, you know, uh, from the behind the, the trash can. We we shared some hugs, and then, uh, and of course, that's one of two games we lost that year. We went on to, to win the Super Bowl. And you talk about like we talk about Soldier Field. You talk. We're not just talking about any Chicago team. We're talking about a team the with monsters Pain, of Midway. the monsters of the Midway. Like, tell us about some of the competition as. In that time of the league, did a lot of people know what a Samoan was back then? No. Because they were like, oh, you must be a big Puerto Rican. <laughs> Tell us about how that situation came about. You know, it's just good. a lot of our kids now, a lot of our young men now don't understand when when we played like in Cleveland, yeah. at the old Cleveland Stadium, they, they call it the dog pound, right? So we're warming up. And I'm hearing those, hey, you pineapple head. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> why, where's your hula skirt? You yeah, know, oh, that was going in. Things that right now people would turn it politically. Oh, yeah. But for me, it it was fun. Yeah. You know, it, it, it kind of helped motivate me. You know, but I've heard pineapple head so many times because <laughs> that's the only thing they could associate yeah. with me was pineapple, right? Oh, and they, they didn't have Google back then. So they, they were just like, right. okay, what can we do? Right. Hawaii pineapple. That was the only thing they came right. up with. And every now and then you hear coconut head. Yeah. So when you hear coconut head, then you knew, oh, maybe this person visited Hawaii yeah, exactly. at some point. They had to go there at some point in time to actually yeah. know what a coconut was. Yes. But having these interactions with these greats, and we're talking about the teams you were on, and you're a two-time Pro Bowler. The Pro Bowls came later in your career as well, but going to these different teams, nowadays salary caps kind of like dismantle teams immediately. You guys had the luxury of actually with the DeBartolos and, and how they handled it with Bill Walsh being there to kind of keep your team together at a time. Like, tell us about how it was with Bill Walsh and dealing with the DeBartolos as an organization that made it a fun place to play. Well, we, there's a thing we call the 49er standard. Yeah. And, you know, I spoke at Brock Purdy's uh, Mr. Irrelevant dinner in yeah. Newport Beach. Nice. And I explained that standard that we had back in the day. You know, a free agency came about because of Eddie DeBartolo. Yeah. Because when we came back from the strike in 87, we got a memo that if we win a division, he would double that money, personally for yeah. all of us. And people hear about those stories. Uh, the 49ers were the first team for each player to have their own room. Before that, yeah. you know, players would room with, with but they're each other. roommates. Right. Yeah. If we travel more than two hours, we were the only one that would charter wide-body planes, meaning, uh, you know, two, three, yeah. two. Oh, the Bartolo was just, doing it. Right, the yeah. Bartolo was doing it. So, you know, great players from other teams wanted to come to the Niners. Yeah. But there was no true free agency in the NFL. So, like for you, if you work three years, yeah, or you sign a three-year contract, you work three years, and you're done in a regular job, you're done. Yeah, you're free to go. Yep. In the NFL, if I sign a two-year contract and I play my two years, for me to go to another team, the team that you came from has to be compensated. So it's really not true free agency. Wow, yeah. Right. That's what. And a it's lot of crazy people fought for changed. that. Yeah. Right. And the, the the exchange was, we'll give you true free agency. But we're going to have to have a salary cap. Yeah, that was back then. So, and and that becomes the salary cap where That's, everyone sees where they can't keep these power house teams together all the time. Now. Right. But the salary cap back then, when we first started, was like fifty-four million. Now it's like three hundred forty-five million. Come on. Teams. <laughs> <laughs> I was born a little too early. Exactly. I was about to say, do you look at some of these contracts now? It has to discourage older players. I always say this all the time. Where you're like, man, they making money nowadays. Where as opposed Mike, to when you were there, it was like, how come I wasn't making that money? Well, the people before us were complaining about us. Oh, yeah, us because, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I I didn't get to a million and a half, Cisco, until I got to my ninth and tenth year. Yeah. This guy sitting on a bench right now making 2.5. Not even right? playing. Not even yeah. playing. Mike McClinchy just signed a five-year 87. 87. <laughs> I said, What? <laughs> I was like, Mike, go get your money, Mike. Get your I, I, money. And I love Mike. Yeah. And I'm happy for him. But I'm like, so what is my worth today? Yeah, you know? exactly. And uh, but that, that's the days that we live in. Yeah. And, you know, we thought Trent Williams was untouchable as far as his salary. These guys are passing him up now. So Trent was a know. stand, and now it's like they're passing Trent. Like, okay, now there's just this money to be made on the whole line. Right. Now, it's, it's not that it wasn't a necessity now. Now it's kind of like you got to protect your main investment in the quarterback. So you got to put money into the O-line. Right. You yeah. gotta, I mean, those guards making $14, 15000000 million, yeah. you know. And, you know, it's the age that we live in. You know, uh, 
you're happy for them. Yeah. And, and, and the good thing about it is they're kind of remembering us when we do the, our union uh, yeah. negotiations to take care of some of the guys that, that uh, you know, came before them. So I'm happy about that. Being in the league and being on the team, and we're talking about Polynesia, how, was Manu Tuyas still the first fellow teammate to be of uh, Polynesian descent on the Niners with you? Or was there somebody before that? Yes, it was Manu that okay. came. You know, my second year, we they, we traded or they traded him from Seattle to yeah. us, and then he won the Super Bowl with me. We both won the first. Come one, on, man! And uh, we're happy about that. Yeah. And it was good to have him uh, with the Niners. But uh, we also had Terry Totolo came to us for about a half a season. Yeah. We, then uh, we released him, and then he signed with Miami. So there were a few that came through. There were uh, quite a few that tried out that didn't quite make yeah. it, but. Uh, but every time I see him in training camp, man, I'm happy to see him. You know, <laughs> you know, doing between practices, you get to eat and you get to, yeah. you know, identify with with them uh, um, as Polynesians and and make training camp fun. And it seems like you guys made it cool to know the Polynesians in the league. Like when you talk about the Jerry Rices, the Ronnie Lots, and I talked, I ran into Ronnie Lott at a game. I think it was Sarah one time in the Bay Area. And he was like, oh, you some more. And, you know, just for them to know that. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm Jesse's cousin. You know, they always play around like that where they, they, now they knew and you guys kind of made it notarized for everybody to do that. Tell us about playing with Jerry Rice. When did you know he was going to be like one of those dudes as well, like Joe Montana? Well, when Jerry came in, you know, he suffered the dropsies yeah. a little bit early. But the one thing that you, 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 you knew was his work ethic, you know, and he kept pushing and yeah. pushing and – and, uh, you know, we had, you know, we always talk about if John Taylor was a number one receiver somewhere else, he would have been. I always say John Taylor's the underrated guy. He's, he's the guy with the odd man guy. out. But he was the dude as well. Oh, he was a, he yeah. was a dude. And when he dominates games, you know, it's it's very impressive. Yeah. And, and we named him as the best athlete on the team. But what JT. separates Jerry Rice from everybody else is his engine, man. Yeah. He just, he just would not stop. You know, it 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 looks like uh, somebody did something to him yeah. that that he was going to make everybody pay, and that's you know now and then I see Dion's highlights, and they, of course they're going to feature Jerry oh, Rice absolutely. on all the good plays. I'm like, but please show, show the, the plays, play. <laughs> <laughs> please show the many plays we come to Atlanta and blow yeah. you out. You know, but but that's what it is. You know, nowadays, but that's what set uh, you know Jerry Rice apart yeah. from everybody else is is his work ethic. And his ability to to carry us all the way through the fourth quarter. I always be seeing Jerry at the game. He looked like Jerry could still get in there for the third, fourth <laughs> quarter every now and then. But going back to that as well, um, how did you transition when Joe had left and Steve Young was knocking on the door? I mean, we, Steve Young coming from BYU. I mean, just he was just a different quarterback. You know, being a fan, kind of watching where he came from, and him being you know one of the early mobile quarterbacks. And making you guys work a little bit harder. Because if you guys go and watch Steve Young's run, I think it was against the Vikings, Jesse was running all over the field. And I was like, look at Jesse still going down the field. But that that was different than Joe Montana's era, where he was just a pocket passer. He wasn't going to do what Steve Young did. So when Steve Young came in, how did you guys transition to what his style of play was? It was difficult. Yeah. It was difficult. I mean, Joe was kind of a running quarterback. Yeah. But he ran when it was necessary. But he ran our offense the way it was supposed to be run. Yeah, the way when, Bill wanted to be The run. way Bill wanted it to be run. When Steve came in, Steve was a Michael Vick of all time. Man. You know, I mean, nobody's seen anybody that can run like him. Now, the, the problem with Steve is he depended too much on, 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 on his, his On his feet, legs, yeah. Right? And he got better and better and better. And when Steve won uh, NFL MVPs, we didn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So to us, that wasn't good enough. 
right? And we didn't have problems, you know, talking to Steve firmly in the huddle because yeah. Steve sat on the bench for three and a half years. So to us, you know, we didn't know he was going to be a Hall of Famer, yeah. but <laughs> you, you you were some you were the second quarterback, and now yeah. you come in. You know, we're gonna we're gonna speak our mind a little bit. You know, hey, because you guys are the vets. You guys been with Joe. Now you kind of say, hey, Steve, calm your ass down a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, we, we need to know where you're at. Man. Yeah. Exactly. I, I can't be thinking I'm doing a good job, and then I see you on my yeah. right shoulder. <laughs> but Steve is such a, a hard worker, also, yeah. and a and a real competitor. You know that um, I was so happy to see him. Uh, you know, throw six in yeah. the Super Bowl. But you know, but then again, Joe threw five against Denver in three quarters, Man. and we took him out. Right, so now we didn't know the rules were going to be changed yeah. and relax the rules as far as Ronnie Lott can't take your head off. And exactly, come down the middle, you can't mug receivers coming off. So, you know, everybody talks about, oh, well, you know, Joe didn't throw for this many yards. Well, the rules were completely yeah. different. You know, and people don't know that. Like they don't. Rules change every year, and then like now, if you just barely touch the quarterback, it's rough on the, it's rough on the passer oh, now, yeah. right? So back then, they could take Joe's head off, and nobody would oh, say anything. Oh, I mean, <laughs> like there's a there's a highlight of me fighting uh, Charles Haley because yeah. he held on to Elvis Gerback, you know, and after like three seconds after the whistle, and just lifted him up and planted him, you know. Oh, I mean, and Charles and, Haley, a big dude, right? And that was kind of. Uh, Come on, normal back then. We yeah. knew Charles was pushing the envelope yeah. a little bit, but and then you saw Bosa last year, man, just kind of fall into the guy, and and, and they called they it. got called for, yeah. for for roughing the passer. Now the thing, the the biggest adjustment for me is sitting watching the TV and a defensive guy makes a play, and I'm like, great play, and then you see the flag, flag. thrown, right? It has to be uh, deflating, especially yeah. being a fan of the older football and kind of seeing that and seeing how the rules have changed where they're protecting the quarterback and D-linemen can't do that. You can't push off the line after five yards. It's just <laughs> transition. You're like, wait, what, fo- what, what football is this? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's the one rule that I wish the NFL would change, right? The defense worked so hard for two downs, and yeah. now it's like second and 23, right? I'm third down. You know, the, the guy bumps them at six yeah. yards instead of five yards. Automatic, automatic first, down. first down. Yeah, I, I would rather. Okay, you know, call a penalty. Give them the five or ten give yards. Them five yards, yeah. and now it's still third and eighteen. Yeah. You know, because the defense worked so hard yeah. to get it to third and twenty-three. How are you going to let them get off the hook with with a little with bump? a pity pat foul? Right. Yeah, right. yeah, with so a pity pat penalty. I have a problem with that, yeah. and I'm an offensive guy because yeah. I want the game to be exciting and be fair for everyone. Yeah. And and uh, but you know, it is what it is, and and uh, I'm sure they're going to make things to make it a little better. Yeah. And we see the game evolving now where I don't think Lawrence Taylor would have survived and there's not a lot of these players. <laughs> but speaking of like players like Lawrence Taylor, who are some of the toughest defensive linemen and linebackers that you squared up against? Like, okay, this dude's a dog. Well, a lot of them are dogs. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Reggie White was, oh, was, man. Was, a, was a real dog. Me and, me and I mean, G were just talking about Reggie White where I – mean, it was before the hybrid uh, Bosa's days. Right. You, Reggie White, the preacher man, was, yeah. he was doing some things. So Reggie White was one of them, huh? He was one of them because – Buddy Ryan was a head coach, and Buddy Ryan was a defensive coordinator defensive with the, mind. The, with the uh, Chicago Bears. Yeah. You know that defense that everybody talks yeah. about every year in 1985. They ran a bear defense where they covered the two guards, and then they have a, a, a the one on one with the center all by himself in the middle. Well, <laughs> so you was with Reggie. Well, when when Philadelphia ran it, yeah, Reggie moved from defensive end right on the center. You so, like Reg? Go back over there, Reg. Reg, go back over to the so, end. Every time I would break the huddle. Boom, my eyes go to the right. I see his feet coming. I'm like, oh, boy. You know? And, and uh, 
you know, we would be meeting uh, as we prepared for Philadelphia back in the day. And uh, Bob McKitchell was like, well, Jess, you're from the island, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're used to being on an island, right? Exactly. So, so I'm going to leave you on the island with Reggie White. Right. The Hall but, of Famer. You know, rest in peace. we had, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah. Good, good, good brother. Uh, then we also had uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. You know, we had Chris Doman, who's a oh, Hall of Famer. Oh, man. John Randall, Keith Millard, yeah. Henry Talk. They were all pro bowlers. Randall right? was a beast. And they came, they they came to us three times in a yeah. row for the playoffs, and we kept sending them home. But, yeah. but those some tough lines. You know, one of the toughest guys I ever played against, and I played against him in a lot of big games, it's a guy named Leon Lett. Oh, Dallas Cowboys. They kept Dallas Cowboys. They call him the big cat. Yeah, come on. Now, when you're 6'8", and they call you the big cat, <laughs> and you're Polynesian with arms not that long, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. I, I mentioned that I started off as a running back in flag football. Well, that was the strength of my game is my yeah. feet. And yeah, good a, feet. And that's the only way I could yeah. stay with someone that's 6'8", that's quick as a cat. Man. But it was a challenge, man. Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm thinking about it all night before the game. <laughs> a lot of sleepless nights, like, man, I got to go get Leon Lett yeah, tomorrow. These are, and then of course, he's on the same side with, yeah. with, uh, with Charles Haley. Come you on. Know? And, and you know, the, the last Super Bowl, they switched me from center yeah. to left guard because of that. that so now league. you're on the side of like, hey, put Jesse where Charles <laughs> and Leon's at because maybe we'll have a better shot in hell well, for because, that. Because, you know, we lost to them. Yeah. Uh, two NFC championships in a row. Man. And then we needed, you know, of course they took Chuck from us, and then we got Kenny, Kenny Norton from them. Yeah. It was almost like a, it was like it was, it was swapping players yeah, at that it's, time. It's like a nuclear war between <laughs> two of the most powerful teams in the yeah. NFL at the time. They were playing chess matches, and and of course they moved me out so I could match up with with uh, Leon Lett, yeah. and we went and, and signed Bart Oates Man, from Bart the Giants Oates. to take my spot. Yeah. So. Uh, and I'm like, why, why are you guys moving me from my spot? <laughs> Move Bart over there. <laughs> yeah. find, find someone in the draft, man. Yeah. I mean, that's not right. But, you know, but it's all about winning championships yeah. at the time because, and that's what fans remember us yeah. as. You know, Cisco, there was a lot of fans that weren't even born yeah. at Levi Stadium when we were playing that still cheer us on like, like they belong. Yeah. They they know the trophies and the history of the trophies. Just the lineage in from, itself, from their, yeah. from their parents and from their cousins or older cousins yeah. that that experienced those days, and and that's a good thing. And and I and I talked to Talano about that. I said, man, we need number six. Yeah. <laughs> I said, and and the thing is, we've been close, but I I said to Talano, if if you guys win one or two, they will look at you the same way they look yeah. at my generation. You don't. You don't have to win five. Oh, trust me, we've been spoiled, Jesse. We've been spoiled. I, I've been doing this quest for six for many moons. I'm like, where's the six at? So, and, then, and the bad thing about it is, we've been close. Yes, right, too close. NFC championships and right. you know the one with Crabtree that we lost. It was unfortunate, but those still burn to these days yeah. because when you come from an era where you're spoiled, where it was when it was in your era, we didn't lose Super Bowls. We're not five and zero. Oh. We, we we were yeah. we were real rare for us to even right. even be, to lose because right. we were blowing teams. You guys are blowing teams out like the Chargers and you know Denver. Denver. It was like it was. I remember watching the Denver Super Bowl with my parents and my, and, <laughs> and by the first quarter, I'm like I'm gonna go play outside. <laughs> but I said no, the Super Bowls. I was like no, they already won the game in the first quarter. But go take us to the '94 one where Junior say I was there. Mm -hmm. Big moment for you guys to be you know Polynesian players in the spotlight. Tell us how that whole thing took place. And did you and Junior have conversations before that to kind of say, hey, we're representing a culture right now? We didn't have conversations, you know, the two weeks before the game because yeah. we remember it was two weeks. That's right. You know, there was a bye. But 
We did yeah. um, at, at the Pro Bowl the, the very next week. But it was a big moment for yeah. us, you know, because, you know, we talk about nine players being involved in this past Super Bowl. Man. It was junior and I, and it was the first time that two Samoans and two Polynesians went up against each other yeah. in a big game. And and Junior's such a great athlete that he took chances, yeah. right? Oh, man. And and there's a reason why Bob McKittrick drafted guys like myself and Guy McIntyre. You needed that quickness and that speed yeah. to Good stay feet. with players like yeah. that. To play, yeah, stay with players like And we knew Junior took chances, right? And and you remember the 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 touchdown that Ricky Waters yeah. scored in the middle where he swapped at two safeties? Because uh, Junior took a, took a chance on that he one. He took a chance yeah. on that one. Put the wrong side. <laughs> right. So we ran 16 power yeah. with me pulling, and I, I, I blocked uh, Chris Mims. And, and then we ran 16 power again, right? And the first time we ran 16 power was a real run. Yeah. Junior was already across the line of scrimmage, right? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> then we, played, we ran another play. We came back with past 16 power. Yeah. Same action, except Steve was going to throw it to Ricky Waters coming out of the yeah. backfield. It was wide open because uh, Junior, Junior was already gone. Gap, right? yeah. Junior shot the gap. <laughs> and, and, and we knew that we can nickel and dime him, yeah. and that was our game plan, and and, uh, and it worked. Yeah, and it worked a little. I mean, you may, that game made Junior look human. Yes. <laughs> when otherwise he was, you know, he was out of body. He was like the guy. Right. You didn't want to go against Junior. And wh- I remember watching that game as a kid and watching it as a fan. It was like it made Junior look and I, rest in peace to Junior Sale, but mm-hmm. the way you guys game planned for him, he kind of almost wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And when he was getting caught up and, you know, Ricky Waters was like, oh, it was too easy. Then it was like you guys just blew up and just went, ran away with it. Right. Um, go after the, at the Pro Bowl, were you guys know, I mean, like we go back to the pressures and everything, Junior Sale was like a household name at that time. Yeah. Um, and you were coming towards the end of your career. Mm-hmm. Were you kind of like not passing the torch, but kind of saying, hey, you kind of got to carry this on now that a lot of us, you know, have been playing and this, now it's kind of Junior's era. How did that conversation come? Well, it, it was pretty interesting because, you know, of course we came from uh, Miami and then we did the parade, Yeah, you know, the very next day. You know, we didn't sleep in Miami after the game. <laughs> oh, it was straight. So, right. I was on Market Street so, uh, at six know, in the morning. <laughs> yeah, because the, the nice cold weather and, of course, the, you know, you know, close to a million fans out yeah. there on the streets kept you up. And then all the pro bowlers went straight back to the airport and we flew to Hawaii. To Hawaii, yeah. And, and then the next day we took pictures. And the AFC would take team pictures and individual pictures, and the NFC would not walk around. Yeah. And then we walked out, and I saw him, and I knew he was still hurting, and he was kind of walking away. I walked straight towards yeah. him, and I explained to him that the Chargers had some great teams, you know, with Dan Fouts, yeah. uh, John Jefferson. When I was when I was coming up, uh, when I was in college and in high school, and I said none of those teams made it to the Super Bowl, Jim. You guys were the very first one, yeah. so you can take, you can be proud of that, you know, and then. Uh, and then, of course, we hugged, yeah. you know, and then and then him and Guy McIntyre got into a fight during the game. <laughs> and you're like, dude, man, that's my guy. So, so, so you know, people complain about the Pro Bowl right yeah. now. Oh, man, we played. You guys we were like the because I remember watching Pro you Bowl. Know? I was like, look, when Jesse and was in the Pro Bowl, it was still like a real game. Because oh, when I seen Guy McIntyre Jr. say I going at it, I said, look, these guys are not, not like the two-hand touch we got today. It was not like that no, when it was at it was the Olo like Stadium. That. Yeah, because – you know, the winner gets 30000 yeah. and the losers get fifteen. And 30000 was a lot to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, they get paid like sixty, and they're looking at it like it's 60 bucks. And, and, and I, I, was, I was laughing because before we did this, I said, okay, look, it, sa- it says on your Wikipedia that you played 182 games. You started in 154. They showed your stats, and out of all those games, you have one fumble recovery. <laughs> 
<laughs> I said, that's a stat that kind of stuck out to me. I was like, wait, that can't be because especially with Steve Young and the way so – not that it's a stat game. Do you look at today's game as the O-lineman? We're talking about how the evolution of the O-lineman is. You're looking at the Trent Williams, and you're looking like how the defense is with Talanoa goes on. What's your take on what today's game is, not just as a Polynesian player, but just in a, in a whole? Well, today's game is the NFL uh, wanted more offense. Yeah. You know, because I guess it, it's exciting for the Sells the more fans. tickets. Yeah, it sells yeah. more tickets. Um but I, I'm still old school in my way of thinking. Yeah. You know, I, I still enjoy two great defenses going at it. Well, not not too many times, though, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I understand where the, the NFL is coming from. But it's a combination also of safety. You know, I mean, back when I was playing, you know, they, they didn't care how, about your safety. This is back how then. they checked if, if you had a concussion, you know, they, they two fingers. <laughs> Point, point to the tip of your nose yeah. kind of thing, you know. And, and so the protocol was a different, little different. Nose, oh, yeah. You're back in the game. You're back in the yes. game. Yeah. These guys, if they see you walking a little, you know, a little. Oh, they're pulling you out. You're going to the oh, they're tent. they're pulling you out. You're yeah. going to the tent. You know, what's, you know, you look at it, and, 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 and I'm glad that the, the NFL uh, has evolved in yeah. that with the protocol of the, the concussion thing. But, man, I'm still old school in my thinking. Come on. You know, I, I, I still think the reason why the NFL is the number one sport in America by far yeah. is because of that warrior mentality, yeah. right? It, 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 people enjoy that. You know, uh, like sometimes I, I think about it and I'm like, you know, there's a reason why 90,000 people are here to see yeah. Peyton Manning, to see Joe Montana. You know why? Because not many people can stand calmly in the middle of the lion's den and calmly throw an accurate pass. Yeah. If anybody could do it, then then everybody would come it, and yeah. watch, you yeah. know. And I want to keep it that way. You know, I want to keep it. I don't want it to get to the point where, you know, people think, you know, anybody can do yeah. it because it's it's very difficult, especially at that level. Yeah. Transition us to the Polynesian Hall of Fame that we got going on in Hawaii. Because mm -hmm. I want to talk about that, how you just kind of, how did that whole idea even come about? Well, you know, Cisco, I've been going to Samoa to do camps even when I was in college, yeah. like back in 1982. And then June Jones invited me to go on his Goodwill mission, which we take medical supplies and then we do camps. Yeah. And after that, we go from school to school on the school bus. So we were just talking, you know, reminiscing, yeah. you know, uh, who was the first Polynesian to play in the NFL. And we found out the very first guy was El Lolotai in 1947. Oh, wow. The first 49er team ever was 1946. So I didn't realize that yeah. we, you know, there was people before me that, that came through. And then as we were talking about it, and at that time our numbers were like, I just retired and our numbers were like up in the 20s. Yeah. And still low for the still standard. Low, yeah. Still low. And, and uh, June Jones was saying, you know, it would be a shame if you guys forget yeah. the history because now you guys are growing, and which is exactly right. Now Absolutely. we're close to 100. And he says, you know, you guys need to start something like a Polynesian Hall of Fame. Yeah. And he looked at me. I'm like, what are you looking <laughs> Look at, at me? Because <laughs> I knew it was going to be a big project, yeah, right? Absolutely. It wasn't going to be easy. And he says, we'll, we'll, we'll help you out. Yeah. You know, we'll uh, try to get it going. And, and, and we have a marketing company here from, from, from Vegas. And we wanted to do that. And the first thing we, we well, the first class was about eight or nine years ago. Yeah. We were going to do a dinner, right? And so the marketing company go, uh, goes, we're going to 
do a real nice dinner. It's two hundred fifty dollars a ticket. I look at him. I'm like, you know, you're talking about Polynesia. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they gonna start asking you like the game tickets. They gonna ask for those tickets too, right? You know, we do a church family night and you sell tickets for twenty dollars. Yeah, twenty dollars. They start talking about you, you know. But they said, you know, if 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 you want it to be special, yeah, and you want it to be respected, trust me, Jess, people will pay. Oh man, and I were, deal with that all the were, all, every day, Jess. Right. So they were exactly yeah. right, you know. Um, so the first year we had three hundred fifty people. I'm like, wow. You All know. these people pay two fifty. Right. <laughs> so so now we're about eleven hundred for the last four or five years. Yeah. And the ticket's three hundred dollars, right? And but we have uh, sponsors. Yeah. Like yeah. big sponsors that pay a lot of money for their tables. And then you know when we got to year three or four, we wanted to connect the future and the present for them to look at the past, the people that you know that kick that door down yeah. for them to have these opportunities. Came before them and now so, they're And then position. we started an all-star game. And yeah. I told these guys, come on, man. We, you know, the dinner alone was tough. And then yeah. we built a, a Hall of Fame at Polynesian Cultural Center, BCC. which was not an easy negotiation yeah. also. But in the first two years, we, we streamed it and we only televised it locally on TV in Hawaii. But then when the kids came back and they tweeted about their experience, we got a lot of hits. Yeah. And then we took that presentation to uh, CBS Network. And thank God they, they took us on. So yeah. we signed a three-year deal with them. And then we went to Roger Cadell in the NFL this past year and showed our numbers. Hey, we're on a per capita yeah. basis. Polynesian kids, especially Samoans, are more likely to make it in the NFL than any other race. Yeah, but Polynesians like 38 times more than any other race on a per capita basis. They looked at those numbers and they took us on. So, oh, that raised an eyebrow. They were yeah. like, they had to raise an eyebrow. We're going, okay, now you got the numbers to back it up. Like, okay, now you're doing something, and I think that's what it took. And for them to kind of just say, Roger Goodall, and now you guys are NFL Network. Right. Tell us about that deal. Well, it, you know, we're proud of that because yeah. we're the only high school all star game that they took on. And, and the, the great thing about it is we did it on a Friday at four o'clock Hawaii time yeah. because we wanted people from New York to watch it. The halftime show was off. Oh the hook. yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, Kamehameha High School. Yeah, it really represented. Yeah, it represented our, uh, our Polynesian culture, the different different islands, and that's what we want people yeah. to know, you know. But we, the the game is fifty one percent. You got to have Polynesian blood. Yeah. At least that's the goal, and then the other forty nine percent allows us to go and get kids that will be in the NFL yeah. in three to four years. Exactly, right? and to have and that experience. Have that experience. Yeah, and, to be and, in this and one of the the most impactful experience that we have. Of course, the Polynesian Cultural Center, they love that. But when we take them to Pearl Harbor, yeah. and some of our black kids realize how many black lives were lost yeah. from the bombing of Pearl Harbor, they walk back onto the boat with tears. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that hits me here because Absolutely. I'm thinking, wow, this is a whole lot deeper than yeah. just the game. But that was the goal. And yeah. of course, we teach the same haka to all the different, you know, and some of these kids, when they go to the NFL, they'll always remember the Polynesian hospitality, yeah. and which is what we're all about. We're yep. about respect and humility and, and how we treat people, you know, the way they want to be treated. Yeah. And, and that's what our culture is based around. And, of course, family is number one. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we're people of faith. So those are the kind of things that we want to share. Yeah. And, and, and it's getting there. And I think with the one good thing about the social media area is that 
we are able to visit things like this and get the word across the world in a little bit easier way than it was back in the day. Now you can you know, celebrate the greats like yourself and a lot of people like Jack Thompson that came before by posting. You know, I always see these, um, they got NFL Pacifica that they have an Instagram page mm, and mm. they always kind of like go back to the old school videos where a lot of kids nowadays didn't know about that stuff. I was like, oh, the game is different now. Oh no, <laughs> they don't know it until they see a social media post. Yeah. They see an Instagram post where I'm kind of glad that they do use that platform the way they're using it, where we can get the word out about the Polynesian Hall of Fame ball and, and all those things like that. But like seeing Nico play and seeing the, the future of the NFL, like you're looking, talking about not just Samoan kids, you're talking about Tongan greats, like Halotingata, and yes. you got Troy Polamalu still coming to the game, where we're mm -hmm. talking about, these are like legends still giving back because of what our culture does with our, our players and our people. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, and and you know, as as much as you, we complain about social media sometimes, we're glad that they still have footage of yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all black and white water, it has the NFL films on there. Shout out to Sable family. We're going to need a little bit more of those. But, but take so transition from Polynesian Hall of Fame to the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, we got Kevin Mawai. We got Junior Seau, Troy Polamalu in there. We got to get Jesse in there somehow, some way. But tell us how that impact of having those players in the NFL Hall of Fame, kind of just as you as a player kind of seeing that transition, okay, now we're starting to get the notoriety. Tell us about when, when, when they got the, the, the nod to be in the National Football Hall of Fame. Well, it's very, very important. Yeah. You know, I was that junior's induction. And uh, you know, I, with his I'm daughter, just, I, with his daughter, yeah. and I'm just, yeah, I was, I was hurting here because I wish he was there. Yeah, you know, um, and then uh, of course, you know, with with Troy, I was planning to go. We everything was planned to go with to Troy's induction, yeah. and then we heard that he said he was positive. Yeah, you know, he was COVID positive. I'm like, <laughs> we're not going all the way down there, and yeah. Troy can't be there. And then we realized they made an exception. You know yeah. how it is, right? Yeah. And, and Troy was there. Uh, Kevin Mawai, we sent him gifts. You know, we're very proud of those guys. Yeah. Uh, and and they're, you know, it, it, make, it makes our kids look at them and say, yeah. hey, we, we, we can make it there also. You know, I did an interview this past week to try to promote Roger Craig yeah. to get into the Hall of Fame. You know, the thing that we question, Cisco, is how does the Buffalo Bills that are 0-4 Man. have as many So many, yeah, come on, Jess. As, as the guys that went 5-0. <laughs> and 0, Yes, you know? The thing that they need to look at, and, and I was nominated two years ago yeah. for finding to, to go into the quarterfinals. Um, they need to dig into people that sacrifice. You don't win these championships by having 53 guys that all want to go Come to the on. Hall of Fame. You got to have guys that sacrifice yeah. to make these teams the yeah. special teams that they are. And that's where we are as the 49ers. And you know, I'm involved with the all, yeah. all alumni. And we're trying to push to get more of us, our guys, yeah, uh, into the hall, into of the fame. hall of fame. Yeah. yeah, tell us about how you continued your. Uh, we talk about alumni, and you know, me being a fan for all my life and going to the games and seeing Jesse, you still with the organization as the alumni. Are, are kind of like, look, I've walked around <laughs> Levi Stadium with Jesse. He's like the owner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about from security staff to people selling the hot dogs. Everybody know who Jesse is over there. But tell us, I mean, that just comes from your lineage and what you did for the team. But now being an alumni, and I see Charles Haley eating, you know, the all-you-can-eat buffet, and I see Steve Wallace and Guy McIntyre, a lot of these guys, Ricky Waters walking around. Tell us how this alumni position for you mm -hmm. has kind of like gave you the opportunity to, you know, kind of mentor people like Talanoa and and, and players like that. Tell us about that. Well, they call me. You know, I live in Los Angeles, yeah, right? Yeah. But, you know, they call me with, with the position to be the director of, of alumni. But I said, no, I'm not. I'm not living in L.A. Yeah. unless 
you know, of course, you tell me a salary that yeah. would allow me to move my family. But they said, but okay, but we still want you to be involved in yeah. some capacity. Um, so, you know, they send me all over the place. I, I went to Mexico twice. Yeah, I've seen that, Mexico City. To do promotions for yeah. Niners. I think they, they, they choose you if you handle yourself with class on yeah. the football field. And then you have the pedigree on the field, combination of both. Yeah. And those are the kind of guys that they choose to represent the organization. It was great for me, Cisco, because, you know, when you retire, you know, when you see us retire as professional athletes and you see them cry, yeah, we're not crying only because we just retired from professional uh, sport, I mean, yeah. football. We've done this thing since we were 10 years yeah. old. So to us, we got paid later, but it, that's all we knew, right? And and that's you, all you, you know, were, right? Yeah. And and you get coached up like push, push, yeah, push past this, and then all of a sudden they said, "No, you're not good enough anymore." Yeah. It makes you feel like your family left you, yeah, after absolutely. all these years. So the first couple of years, I didn't even look forward to July because yeah. I knew my body says, "Hey, it's training camp." Yeah, you know. So I I played thirty six holes of golf. <laughs> hey, just still look good. Just, just still look good for being a retired NFL veteran for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll, I'll send you the check in the mail for yeah. you know. I, I ask you to please. Uh, so we know. got that one off the checklist that Jesse sent me. But uh, like we're talking about like uh, my Brandon Manumaliuna. We're talking about you know um, his dad Frank that just passed away. These guys, you know, um, Brandon playing ten years in the league. Like they're starting. They're saying after when they leave the game, it's tough. You know, either you you go into coaching or you or even the people that are not going to, all you knew was the NFL, all you knew was football. But now you're kind of just further where he's you know head coach of Losinger and you're kind of doing your thing with the lineman camp. Mitt, mm -hmm. tell us about how staying in the game is important for people that's been in the game for so long. It, it's it's uh, it's very important yeah. from a mental health standpoint because, like I said, you know, if if these some of these guys weren't prepared for life after football financially, a combination of of missing the game, yeah, and then all of a sudden you have no money left. It's a bad combination. It's a disastrous yeah. combination, you know. And and I'm involved with the Niners with that, you know. Uh, the, our our union try to help uh, a lot of these guys financially, yeah. But we also have what we call the the Golden Heart Fund, and I'm involved in that. Golden Heart Fund it was, was just a thing that was put together by Ronnie Lott, Brent Jones, some of these guys to raise funds just for our own 49er yeah. alumni guys yeah. that need nice. you know financial assistance and and it's one of the most rewarding things that yeah. I do so I you know we do a 50 50 uh you know we sell tickets yeah at, the 50 50 at, raffles at the uh, game raffles yeah. at the game so I I motivate the, the the people that go out and sell and tell them about the history and the sacrifice some of our guys uh, that are in trouble a little bit financially yeah. and how critical and important their job is and you know we raise around eighty to a hundred thousand yeah. a game. Come on, man! Come so, on. So that's a that's a great thing, and uh, but it's tough. Yeah, it's tough because when when your engine's been revved up since you were young, and then they tell you to take uh, turn it off, and 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 some people they love playing in front of millions of people yeah. on television, ninety thousand people in stadiums, and they ask you to turn that off. Yeah, exactly. It's a major adjustment. Yeah, you know, so it's almost a culture um, shock. Like, wait, we can't it, play in front it, of a crowd no it more. Is. Yeah, and the depression comes from absolutely a lot of those guys. You know, when we win Super Bowls, man, I don't pay for any meals. In, yeah, in no. San Francisco, you know, you go to clubs. You're the man. You go to clubs, and and people appreciate what yeah. what you do, and that's why I live in L.A. and that's why I keep my kids in L.A. Yeah, because when it, when I bring them up too much, I don't want them to see. Yeah. 
You want to see all the perks. Yeah, unrealistic yeah. lives. You know, yeah. that it's, very, it's, it's an unrealistic lifestyle, yeah. you know, because I knew at some point it was going to stop. Yeah. And I needed to prepare my kids uh, that way. And I think it's important. We talk about, like, you know, after the game, financial literacy, we had this conversation the other day, is a huge thing with not just NFL players, just as a culture alone. Um, I think, you know, nothing to take away from school, but I think if they had financial literacy and taught us how to do the taxes, how to do interest rates, that a lot of these players that do come into money that didn't come from money know how to spend the money and know where to put it in investments. Like, And I, and I see that with – I was talking to Talanoa about it too, you know, because he's a pun going to have a big contract coming up. Yeah. He's talking about a Pro Bowl year, and now he's still on his rookie contract, where these kids nowadays, they're getting paid stupid amounts of money. <laughs> that we're, I'm just kind of sitting there like, wow, you know, Talanoa's 23. And I'm sitting here, I, I had him in there, I'm like, he's, he's a kid that's getting, you know, we talk about too much too soon where in our culture, we're, we're not used to too much too soon in that kind of capacity. So now with you guys having vets like you kind of saying, you look, Polynesian Hall of Fame, this is what you should do. And this is kind of like, you know, because mental health is a huge thing. And it takes us back to doing what you guys are doing now with the mid camp. They didn't have these camps back in the day. No. They didn't have these these um, linemen competitions because it was all about the seven on seven guys. Right, right. Tell us how the whole lineman culture kind of came into your lap to kind of okay, Jesse got this mid camp. Tell us about how that all came about. Well, I started coaching my sons in high school. Yeah, shout out Roman. You know, and uh, Roman and his older brothers. Yeah. You know, uh, it was an adjustment for me because you know they sacrificed themselves yeah. for my career. Now I have to be the dad, right? Yeah. Now your dad. And I had to come back in, and and I had to acclimate myself. You know, the one thing that was easy for me was uh, being a football player. Yeah. I didn't know what kind of dad I was going to be because my whole focus was was on football. Was on football, and and I realized that the financial rewards was to take care of my kids. And when I did that, Carson Palmer, Matt Liner, those guys came from Orange County. They did quarterback specialized camps, and I'm like, and then when I coached high school. There's some kids I didn't even know what a three-point stance was. Come on, Jess. And I'm thinking, okay, well, do you know how many, how much detail goes into playing an offensive Man. line to keep the guys back yeah, here? The safe? footwork, the hand right. placements, yeah. So I started coaching my sons, and then they started inviting their friends, and those kids become really good. I started coaching kids that came from Japan. One was a first-team All-American this past year for SC. Wow. The center, Brett Nilon, came to me as a seventh grader, and that's when – you know, but when I first introduced it, you know, coaches from other schools were like, we don't want to send our kids to Jesse. Yeah. Because he's going to say, who the heck taught you that stuff? Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the insecurity. <laughs> the one, they, 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 they had that insecurity. Oh, absolutely. You know, people thought, hey, it was easy. Jesse can just snap his fingers and kids will come. Yeah. No, it took a little while for them to understand. Oh, a lot of ego with the coaches. I don't right. want to be able to, right. who taught you this? Hi, uh, right. coach. How but you doing? That was their assumption that <laughs> yeah. my, what my attitude was going to be. And that definitely wasn't what it was. Yeah. No. Well, for me, is if, if you have a an adult that's spending four hours to help mentor someone else's kid, hey, man, I respect you. Yeah. You know? And then we started that, and then all of a sudden, it started growing. Now, coaches started feeling comfortable because they hear stories. Oh, yeah. Jesse's very easygoing. He doesn't yell at the kids. He takes his time <laughs> just teaching fundamentals because men in the trenches, you know, people think, oh, man, we go to Jesse. He's going to teach us 10, 11 different techniques. Yeah. No, we're going to teach you fundamentals. The basics. Because everybody has a different system. Yeah. But I believe that if, if that player comes to you fundamentally sound, so much faster for you to start coaching that kid because they can adjust to your system. Yeah. Because they already know how to do the basic stuff. 
to begin with. Yes. You don't even have to deal from yeah. from the ground level. So uh, so that's how MIT started. And that's that's our belief system. You know, people think that we teach all this fancy stuff. Now, I know kids that are ahead for their age. Yeah. I will push them personally. Yeah. But at MIT, everything's fundamentally sound. So we schedule it like 12 Saturdays. Yeah. Because I don't believe you can go to a camp for one or two Saturdays. And just be able to soak all that and, knowledge and, in. No, you can't. Yeah. It's a there's a muscle memory involved. You got to create a habit when you become a great player. When when you just don't think anymore, you just go. Yeah, that's when you 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 separate yourself from the rest. When you think, it's too it's too late. Yeah. Especially if you start climbing the ranks. So that's that's what mid is. We yeah. schedule it for twelve weeks. We make it affordable. You know, forty dollars a Saturday for two and a half yeah. hours for your son to come learn the techniques, and then we have a little competition at the end. I have a granddaughter that plays softball, right? So if you come to MIT for 12 weeks at $40, you're looking at 480 yeah. right? I just bought a bat for my granddaughter. Oh, it's that about played, the same price. That place, $500. Yeah. <laughs> you know, $500 for a bat yeah. for a 10-year-old girl. Exactly. And I'm thinking, but football scholarships is the best by far. Yeah. Football scholarships are the best by far. So to me... I've laid out an opportunity out there. If you come, then great. If you don't, then that's also on you. And it's beautiful because I think importance of what you're doing because, like you're saying, there's so many different systems in college and the pros and what they're doing, and even high schools where they're playing at. The fundamentals are everything. You have the quarterback camps. You have the speed camps for the running backs and wide receivers. This is something that's it's, it's catching on like wildfire. We're starting to see a lot more kids that are lining because always the big kids are always the odd man out, right? Yes. <laughs> so even when you have like Pop Warner, oh, you're too heavy, you can't play on this team, you got to play on the older team, where I just seen the evolution of what you're doing with Mitt, where you're starting to have these organizations like Stag and all these people that's doing the lineman camps mm-hmm. that now it's a competitive level. Now with social media, now you got the viral videos of the big Polynesian kids going one-on-one where the competition level at this age is priceless as opposed to what they're paying, 40 bucks and whatever they're paying, to kind of drive them into the right direction. Now you're seeing more successful linemen getting the scholarships to the colleges, getting drafted and things. So it comes full circle. So that, yeah. that's why I wanted to say thank you for the MIT program and everything that you do for the game because now it, it takes us back full circle to what our Niners are doing right now. So before we get about it, we got to talk about the state of the 49ers now. I talk about uh, on Gridiron Junkies with my boy G over there. Yep. I'm the Niners analyst. So I say, <laughs> hey, you want to talk about Niners analysts? We got Jesse coming in with the Brock Purdy situation we were just talking about. What is your whole take as, as being you know in, affiliated with the Niners with the quarterback situation? Well, I don't know if, if I was more – Sad losing the game, or more sad seeing Brock Purdy yeah. get hurt. You know, Absolutely. because I felt, I, I truly believe we found somebody. Yeah, you know, and and not saying that Trey Lance, you know, it doesn't have potential. Yeah. Of course, he has great potential. But Brock Purdy came in, and you know, when when uh, when Jimmy got hurt during the Miami game early, yeah, like the first drive of the game. You could just feel the air come out of a lot of people. <laughs> Not going to lie, Jess. I was one of like, what, Purdy? Who, who, Brock, who? Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, when, when Jimmy went down, the, the, uh, there was no high expectations of Brock, yeah. but he proved us all wrong. Yeah, I, I, I was very impressed yeah. uh, during preseason for uh, uh, someone that was drafted that low to come in and straight out. Oh, so you kind of seen the tangibles early. Yeah, I, I saw it early yeah. in preseason. The thing that excited me was he had some athletic ability he has a, uh, some Jimmy G in him. Gritty white boy right there. With athleticism. Yeah, yes. With athleticism. <laughs> That's what I noticed. And I'm like, wow, this kid has a shot. 
I didn't know they were going to choose him over Sudfeld. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, Sudfeld showed some potential a little yeah. bit. But he straight up beat him out. And I knew that there was something to him. I didn't know he was going to be put in that situation yeah. right away. But, man, he came in against Miami. And as soon as he came in against Miami, they threw the kitchen sink at him. Yeah. I mean, they were coming. They were coming. <laughs> there, were, there was one pass to George Kittle. I think it was third and 12. And he got hit right in the face. And he hit George in the in stride. In stride yeah. And we got a first down. You know, little things like that, um, Cisco, I, I kind of think back about how what Joe, Joe yeah. was, why Joe was separated from everybody else was those kind of plays. And I knew we had something there. But I was still thinking, okay, yeah, he showed some great pretend. We won the Miami game. And yeah. at that time, Miami was 8-3, and three, yeah. I think. You know, they and, were strong and at we, that time. Right, they were strong. And, of course, the very first play of the game, the guy took it 80-something yards. <laughs> <laughs> and then Purdy came in, and, and, and we won the game yeah. by two touchdowns. And then I think the very next game, he played against the greatest, you know, a lot, in a lot of people's minds, yeah. the greatest of all time. And won decisively, 35-7. Yeah. to seven. The thing that re- really makes me say that Brock, if he's healthy, is our guy. It's the first time I felt comfortable going to Seattle and beat him. Man. There was no, Come there on, was no drama. Yes. You know, we knew Purdy was in control. Yeah. They were lucky they were even close. Right? The comfort they, level was there when, oh, I, when it, Purdy it at that there. point was like, man. You know, when, when we went with, with Jimmy, which Jimmy was great too for us. Yeah. Pretty much like squeezing on the way. Yeah. Out of hand. <laughs> hey, shout out Jimmy. Hopefully he does well with the right. Raiders too. But his his awareness, if, if, I always uh, rate the people on the on the Madden on the Madden uh, rating system. His awareness was about a forty two. <laughs> <laughs> Purdy's was a little bit higher as Mister Irrelevant. Where take nothing away from Jimmy G. It's just always I always clinched when he was in the pocket, and yeah. you always like why didn't he just you know? So his hopefully his awareness level goes up a little bit with the Raiders, but. Brock Purdy, I'm just. Do you think he can come back from this injury? Well, uh, the, the it's hope, a tough injury. Yeah, it is a tough injury. But the hope is, uh, a lot of people have come back from. Yeah. It, you know, now, the, the the challenge is the timetable. You know, because some people say, you know, uh, he can stop throwing in three months. Yeah. In six months, he'll be ready to go. For me, I would give him an extra month or two. It's worth the investment yep. to to sit back and. And, and make sure that he's completely healthy because yeah. I think we found someone. Uh, the difference between Brock Purdy and, and Jimmy is that Brock is able to step it out of trouble oh, in situation yeah. and still throw the ball. The with accuracy. Of, with accuracy. Yeah. The greatness of Jimmy was he wasn't afraid to to attack the teeth of, yeah. of a defense. Now, that makes a squeeze. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I some of those, a lot. Some of those passes are like, wow, he yeah. got it in there. But he got it in there. You know, you'd rather have that than a quarterback that starts throwing two-yard gain and yeah. we, we're frustrated because we don't score any points, you know. Um, so we were very thankful of what Jimmy did. Uh, I think Trey, you know, the jury's still out, Yeah. you know. Uh, uh, but I think uh, I think Brock has proven himself enough. If healthy, Damn. he will be our guy. What do you think about our O-line right now? With losing McGlinchey and Brunskill and... I was like, why are we losing all these whole line? Maybe it's the, yeah. it's the nature of the game, but yeah. you know, you try to keep as many key pieces as you can. And you know, yeah. and nothing against McGlinchey. I was squeezing the same with Jimmy. I was squeezing <laughs> with McGlinchey as well. So when he, I wasn't sad to see him go, but once he does go, you realize how important that position yeah. is. It is that tackle position. You're protecting your investment, as you can see, it gets our quarterback hurt. But mm-hmm. where do you see the state of our old line right now? Well, 
you know, we, we got a hit in the draft. Yeah. You know, we got two young guys that played guard last last year. We we brought our center back. Yeah. Um, Trent is the, the, the leader of that group, you know, but we need to find a, a right tackle that's serviceable. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be completely dominant because if if, if we do find someone that's dominant, then our chances of getting to the Super yeah. Bowl just goes up a lot. Yeah. So, um, but – at the same time, I think we have a, a really good offensive line coach. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, people think the best lines are the five most talented individuals. I think it's the five guys that can read stuff in a matter of a second yeah. and a half to two Quick. seconds. Quick. Yeah. That's the key because you got to work together as a group more than any other group on the football field. Take us to the other side of the ball. We have the defensive player of the year in Nick Bosa. Um, and you have our guy, Talanoa, having a Pro Bowl year. And I think, I mean, losing key pieces like, you know, um, Aziz and stuff like that. And, and Jimmy Ward. Jimmy Ward. Yeah. And, like, I still think they have the key core of the mm -hmm. defense that can kind of get us to where we need to be. What's your take on Talanoa and the defense? Well, Talanoa, you know, made major strides from his first year to his second yeah. year. The idea is for him to even get better yeah. because he's now – one of our leaders on, on defense. Our defensive line, we signed a guy from Philadelphia that I really, yeah. really like. Hargrove. Uh, but the thing about it is, if 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 that um, salary cap was available now, we would never lose DeForest Buckner. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't remind me, Jesse. I'm still I'm still grieving over that. Shout out Kinlaw, but he's no Buckner. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think about that every day, but we, we're, we're still, to this day, filling the void of Buckner. And, you know, him being also a Samoan player and Polynesian player as well, it was tough to see him go. Yeah, it was tough because he was a leader. Yeah. He was a great – On that defense. Great, great attitude, yeah. leader. And imagine one guy 6'6", six, six, one guy 6'7", uh, him and Armstead in the middle. It's Twin like towers. It's like two Leon Letts yes. in, the, in the middle of that line. But I think the guy from Philadelphia is going to do yeah. a, a great job for us. We lost some defensive ends. Yeah. You know, every camp. Yeah. Now. And and that's you know that's how it too. is now. Yeah. So it's gonna be McClinchy at eighty seven million. Really? Yeah. Come I mean, on. And 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 he knows that a lot of the Niner fans, um, you know, they, yeah. they always pressure him. <laughs> you know, they always say, "Hey man, if McClinchy." I was one of them. I was one of them. You know, I mean, it, he he's probably thinking, "I'm gonna take my eighty seven million yeah. and run." <laughs> he's like, but, "See you guys later. I got eighty seven million. I will go protect yeah. Russell for a little bit." But you know, I I think our D line. You know, when they become even more dominant, yeah, our back end is going to be, be yeah. more dominant. You know, it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. You know, um, uh, losing a seize is, is, is going to hurt. But I think um, our two guys, you know, Warner and, um, and, Greenlaw. and Greenlaw, yeah, they're, they're studs, man. Those guys can run. And I think we can find a linebacker that can come in yeah. and be serviceable to work with them. So. Or draft one Henry Toto, my uh, my <laughs> nephew right. out of Alabama. Right. You never know. If we get him, he falls into there. He might fit right perfectly in there. Well, and and and, and Henry's game kind of fits. Yeah, I was about He's to say. A real big but I don't want to get the other teams on him because I don't want them to be, be lost before he gets there. <laughs> but, yeah, I think Henry would fit perfect into that. I mean, and it goes back to the – we're talking about Henry and what – the Polynesian culture has brought to the game. You have a middle linebacker like Henry. You have um, Sewell uh, mm -hmm. at Oregon where now they're household names in college, in high school, where DJ was coming from high school as well, where there's so much 
social media and notoriety with NIL deals and everything where <laughs> you guys were at the forefront, you know, just doing this for where it was two people in the league or two people on a team where now you're over hundreds. And people are going to Samoa to go trying to find talent. Coaches are, hey, let's go to Samoa try to find some of these kids mm -hmm. that are playing football where you guys were at the forefront. I mean, you know, we talk about the Jack Thompsons and the people before you guys, but still you guys are at the forefront and still putting work into the game now. And got to be appreciated for that, Jess. Well, but it's also fun for us yeah. to, to see our young men you know, we got to mentor them also yeah. because all that money is great, but if they step out of line, social media, they might not be Come there, on. right? So um, we enjoy doing that work. But, you know, Cisco, one of the things that I do is after the final cut, I'm the guy that speaks to – we bring in the parents yeah. of the rookies that made the team, and then we speak to them about the importance of easing off because as soon as, you know, as soon as families of these rookies know they made the team, yep. everybody got their hand out. Hand out. Right? Now everybody's and, uncle and auntie that right. needs something. So, of course, that's going to put a lot of pressure yeah. on the player. And when the, the player gets stressed out, they the play performance on the yeah. field is affected, which is the brand, yeah. right, the 49ers. So I, I speak about that. I never thought I would have to deal with that situation with 17-year-olds. Yeah, come on. The NIL right now? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, they're making money in you the know, NIL right and, now. And and And... and some of our parents, our Polynesian parents, they're stressed. Yeah. And I'm looking at them. You know, I met with some of them, and I'm like, you know, if you're going to be stressed out, then all this is not worth For it. For nothing, I yeah. said, enjoy it. I, we understand. You're getting calls, <laughs> 30 calls a day from different sharks yeah. that want to Pulling from married. everywhere, yeah. Right. I said, it, it's part of the new process. Yeah. We're all new to this. But you need to enjoy it. Yeah. Because there's a there's alignment. Alignment now. Yep. That signed with Miami, five million dollars. Wow! You know, I I, I I looked at it with the breakdown of some of the things, and I said to Lisa, uh, "That's the kind of money I was looking at my tenth year, <laughs> my tenth year in the NFL." Here's this seventeen-year-old, seventeen-year-old that five hasn't million. even uh, you know taken a class yet. No, but that's the day. That's the day we live in, and, yeah. and it makes it even more critical for guys like myself yeah. at my age, to, to, just to be mentors. And they need that guidance. They I think need they that need guidance. that guidance because we talk about too much too soon. If they don't have guys like yourself mm -hmm. and guys that are giving back to the game, you know, that, everyone that we're talking about, they're lost in the shuffle. Right. And it's too much too soon and it can get lost that quick. And, and <laughs> yeah, you can get lost. But the thing is, because I speak Samoan, yeah. you know, fluently. So when they hear me speak in yes. our language, it kind of calms things down a little bit. And I, But I, at the end of the day, I try to remind them, hey, enjoy yeah. it. Enjoy it because if you don't enjoy it, then all this is not worth it. Absolutely. You know? um, the, the other stuff, let's take it slowly and, and, and look into things to make sure that you guys are comfortable. Yeah. Like the things that my goal with this thing, Cisco, is like when our kids come through, I wanna, I want them, I want the parents to interview six different agents. Yeah. Before they choose one. Don't go for the I, first one. I, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> want them to. I don't want these sharks to force yeah. them to go with who they want. Yeah, I want them to choose wh whoever they're comfortable with, right? So that way they have a choice. Uh, so if any mistakes have been uh, made, yep, it can be corrected. It, it can be corrected, yeah. absolutely. So little things like that, you know, that I kind of enjoy sharing my experiences with them. Yeah. And and the great thing about it is I'm still involved yeah. in the system with the 49ers, so I know and I see what's going on to at least give my two cents to yeah. try to help them.
Come on, they need that guidance. They need that mentorship that they have in you, <laughs> Jess, man. Appreciate you coming over here and spending some time with us. Because this right here, I'm telling you, if you're a lineman and you're watching this podcast, <laughs> a lot of gems were told on this, but 15-year vet and all with the 49ers, which I'm very happy about. Before we get about, how is it so easy, not easy, to stay with one team? Were you able, were you had opportunities to go to other teams? Yes, I did. And uh, you stayed? I had, I had a chance to go to the Dallas Cowboys, but I wasn't going to have my kids Lead, lead 49er at school and fight against other kids and all of a sudden their dad goes to the Cowboys. Come on, that's loyalty I, I right there. I could have played 16 years, yeah, maybe 17, but I think the Cowboys were just trying to pick my head yeah. because the center make all the calls. And at that time, the, the, the competition was between Dallas and us. Yeah, And I think it wasn't worth me going there uh, you know, to lose everything that I built with the 49ers. And it's something I'm very proud of. Probably. I was about to say, another one gem. Helmet. One helmet. One helmet. That's it. And it's rare these days. Jesse Sapolu, 15-year veteran, San Francisco 49ers to the heart. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you for your time, and we'll see you on the next one. Dos Goddess Tequila, your boy Big Body Cisco. See you on the next Western Conference Podcast. Peace.